And so today we're going to be talking about learning contentedness. Uh, we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 13. And last week, Paul gave his final instructions. We kind of ended this mini-series, final instructions, where he talks about joy, peace, and unity. And he then begins to end his letter now with a thank you. And this thank you... Um, he, he kind of takes a side note in his thank you to explain uh, something that we'll get into in a second. But I want to say uh, in his side note, he gives us one of the best passages in Scripture. But it's not only one of the best passages in Scripture, in my opinion. It's also one of the most misused passages in Scripture. And what is actually pretty funny uh, is I was reading and meditating on the Scripture this week for service and while I was meditating on it, um, I took a break, and I do what most people do when they take a break. I went on my phone, opened up Instagram, and I follow a lot of marketing companies that help churches because I'm interested in that stuff. And this one uh, company that does that, they probably help hundreds of churches across the U.S. They actually posted this verse, and I'm going to have my phone open. I'm going to read it. You know, it had this verse in it, and this is the verse that everybody probably the most used verse, one of the most well-known verses outside of John 3, 16. It's, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, or I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All right, and they posted this and they put in the caption, not some things, not a few things, all things, everything is possible through Jesus. Uh, and that just got me laughing because Yes and no. Uh, they added something in the end. Everything, all things are possible through Jesus. But when you put that, you couple it with this and you don't give context, what you have is a misuse of scripture. And then everybody's putting in the comments like, yes, yes, yes. And who knows how many hundreds of churches are now taking this uh, and using it. Uh, and it it's the importance and why we preach the way we do at Zion, that we go through the scriptures for the most part, verse by verse, because there's several things that happen when you do this. One is you get a concept or a context for the entire scripture. When you do that and you hit a verse and it's like, oh, that verse looks good. But what happens when we take a verse that looks good, we can misuse it and we can abuse that verse. But when we understand that verse in its context, then that doesn't happen. We understand why did the author say this? And when you understand why the author said a certain thing, then you understand how to apply what the author said in your particular circumstance, instead of just applying it to whatever you want, when you want. And so we go through uh, our preaching verse by verse. For instance, Philippians, we start in chapter one, verse one, and we're ending on chapter four um, at the end of the chapter. And the, the reason why we're doing that is because we want to understand the entirety of the letter. And we don't just, we, so we want to understand the context, but we don't only want to preach the good you know, happy feely things about scripture. We want to go through scripture in its entirety. And when you do that, you go through and you wrestle with a lot of hard scriptures. Um, and so we don't want to just have motivational speeches on Sunday that make us feel good at when we go home or when we turn off our screen at this point. Uh, but we want to wrestle with scripture, the hard pieces of scripture and also the scripture that uplifts us. And, and so we do that, but then we also do it because we want to understand the context of Scripture. Uh, and so don't forget everything that we've read throughout Philippians. Uh, as we read this verse, we're going to read verses 10, 11, 12, and 13 together right now. You can read on it on the outline. The link has been thrown in. You can open up your Bible, your phone, whatever. 
open it up, Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 13. And even though this is, like I said, one of the most misused verses in Scripture, this section of Scripture is one of my very favorite sections of Scripture and one that I have come back to countless, countless, countless times in my life, and I know I will continue to come back to it. Uh, So this is going to be really important for all of us to listen to and to understand. In verse 10, Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content, for I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. If you remember how this letter opens, then you shouldn't be surprised on how this letter closes. Uh, Because essentially, Paul bookends the beginning of this letter and the end of this letter as a thank you note to the Philippian church. Uh, The reason why he's writing them a thank you is because they have partnered with him financially to care for his needs. Uh, And especially now that he's in prison and in prison back then, you don't have food, you don't get any belongings, you don't Uh, get taken care of with clothes or anything like that, you are dependent on other people to bring you those things. And so Paul is incredibly thankful because Epaphroditus has brought the gift from the Philippian church to him while he's in prison uh, so that he can, you know, this, this is the thing that's going to help keep him alive. And so he starts off the letter this way and he ends the letter this way. But as he is thanking them for what they did, he, he thanks them, but he decides he's not just going to thank them. He's going to remind them of a principle in his thanking. And in the principle, he, he gives this important thing. He says this, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. The first thing that I want to say from this is that contentment is learned behavior. If we think about the word contentment, it is, it is one of the spiritual disciplines of every Christian. When we think about a, a life of someone who has meditated deeply on Christ, who abides in him, contentment should be the understanding of what that looks like. Con- contentment is essentially going back, and, and many things, to the Ten Commandments, where God says, do not commit adultery, do not... Uh, do not um, covet your, your neighbor's wife or your neighbor's goods or your neighbor's things. Do not murder. Do not lie. Do not steal. The reason why we do those things, James expounds on that in, in, the, in the letter that James writes, is because we are not content. What the, we want things that we do not have, and so we, we break the law of God in so many ways. And so contentment is one of the core anchoring principles and disciplines of the Christian life. And it is such an important thing because the closer you get with Jesus, the more that you abide in Jesus, the more you realize that your desires dissolve from your heart, your desires, your your want, your vision in life, all of these things, they begin to go away. And what is replaced is what, what God gives you. Whatever it is that he puts you in, wherever you are in life, you learn to be content in that. And so contentment is, though, a learned behavior. It is not a something that just magically appears in your life. And we have to remember, learning takes this, right? It takes practice, learning takes practice, it takes time, and it takes effort. 
Paul says that he has learned in whatever situation that he to be content. You know, five day fast from Instagram is not going to bring you contentment. Uh, I, I see this so often. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm going to take a few days off of Instagram because of I, I want to stop seeing the things. And that's not a bad thing. I think that's a good thing because we're recognizing the things that are causing discontent in our heart, the things that are causing covetedness, jealousy of other people. And we're saying, all right, I need to get away from that. But five days away from social media, five days away from Pinterest or Instagram or Target is not going to fix the issue of discontent. This is learned behavior that takes time to be with Jesus. And it's going to take time for us to allow and understand and practice contentment in our own lives and in our own hearts. It is deliberately going to Jesus, Paul says, in whatever situation that will teach you this, that you deliberately are walking to Jesus in whatever situation you find yourself, in whatever season you find yourself, and whatever is happening around you, that your response in that time is that I will go to Jesus. No matter what is happening around me, no matter what is going on around me, no matter what my situation is, I will go to Jesus. This is learned behavior. This is something that takes time and practice to think through what our habits and our life and our, our the things that we structure ourselves around to say, are these things pointing me to Jesus in good times and in bad times? Is my life structured to always go to him, to learn to be content in whatever comes my way? Most of us, though, will never allow our situations to teach us. Instead, we will use what we have already learned to get through them. You know, I, I realized a while back, what is so important about the teenage years? You know, a lot of statistics come out about pe- most people make the decision about Jesus and their teenage and their young adult years, early 20s. Uh, and I also realized, you know, as I got older and while I was a teen uh, and young adult, that a lot of the things I, as when I was the youth pastor in my church, um, and I, I would talk to parents and I would talk to teenagers and I would talk to young adults, the 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 things that people learned when they were teenagers, when they're exploring what adulthood looked like, how to respond to and react to situations were learned behaviors that they then took with them for the rest of their life. And uh, we can take uh, dating, for example, right? When you're a teenager and you date people, your hormones are going crazy. Uh, and a lot of times the learned behavior is you know, you're dating with them, uh, physical touch and contact becomes uh, happens very quickly and that leads to sex. Um, and so in that re- in that concept, the learned behavior is now a relationship. I am discontent unless I have physical touch and sex. Uh, and so in my adult years, I have learned from my younger years that when I'm in a relationship, these are the things I want and what I crave and what should happen. And then you have a lot of Christians when they're older, when they're dating and in relationships that struggle with keeping away from these things because the learned behavior says, when I'm in this situation, this is what I do. And this applies to so many different areas of life, like say when young people get stressed out with tests, when they get stressed out with school, what happens? Well, you see dozens of kids smoking cigarettes, you see them doing drugs. I'll never forget this in chemistry class. 
there's this one kid behind me in school and he hated that class. And I understood why he hated that class. The teacher was awful. We had an awful chemistry teacher. Uh, I, I don't remember anything that I learned in that class. But the learned behavior that he was teaching is every day that class stressed him out. And so this kid sat behind me. I was the second to last row. He was the last row. He would pull out cocaine every single day. He would put it on the desk and he would snort it because that class was the hardest class for him. And his what he was teaching himself was in this hard situation, the answer to that thing is cocaine. Uh, and you know, every day he would offer me some, Justin, do you want to take a hit? And I would politely tell him no and go back to doing class. Uh, and but the, the thing is that we've, we've learned so many ways and how to react to situations, and we don't realize that we have taught ourselves how to react to situations, that throughout our life we have learned behaviors that when things are good, this is what I do. When things get stressful, this is what I do. When there's hard times, this is what I do. When I am in need, this is what I do. When I am hungry, this is what I do. We have places that we have gone to before that have helped us survive, that have gotten us through. Maybe we're still alive, so we think, well, I'm just going to do it like I did it before. And as as we many of us have become Christian or we grew up Christian and we learned bad behaviors, we have never begun the process of unlearning the things that we have learned to do in every situation. So Paul, prior to Jesus, had an entire lifetime of learning one way of doing things, and he did it through his Jewish worldview. This is what you do through the law. This is what you do through ritual. This is what you do through sacrifice. These are all the things you do. He had to unlearn all of that and then learn how to instead be content in Jesus in all the different circumstances and all the different situations that life would bring him. And that, I think, is a gap that we have today where we don't take our situations, whether the good ones or the bad ones, the hardships or the happy places, and we don't use them as learning experiences to get closer to Jesus. Instead, what we do is we usually just fall back to the things that we have learned in the past. And when we fall back to the things that we've learned in the past, what happens is we stop growing in Jesus. We stop growing in our walk with God and we become kind of this very stagnant, stale, well, I already learned, I already did this, I already did that. I know how to go in that situation. And that's actually why uh, you see Christians that will be a Christian for 20, 30, 40 years, but yet they still have not walked through the fruit of Jesus. They have still not seen what it's like to be content in all situations. Why? Because maybe that first six months or that first year when they first received Jesus into their life, they were really excited about God. They read scripture, they allowed it to change their life, and they allowed their mind to be renewed and their heart to be renewed and things changed. But then after that year, they stopped and they stopped being passionate about Jesus. They stopped being passionate about going to him. They stopped being passionate about relearning uh, all the things in their heart and realizing that their heart is deceitful and wicked above all else. And then at that moment, for the next 10, 20, 30 years, everything that they react to, every situation is actually only based on one year of being a Christian rather than the 10, 20, or 30 years of walking with Jesus. And so that's why you can have someone that has been a Christian for a year and a half be more mature than a Christian that has been a Christian for 30 years because sometimes that 30-year-old Christian has stopped learning after six months and they've been relying on everything that they've learned at six months 
and that's the only learning that they've done. But you have a young Christian, here they are for a year and a half, they've been learning, and now the maturity grows because they've been learning all that year and a half. And so this is a process that all of us have to go through and we cannot stop doing. There are so many times I've realized in my own life, man, I have not grown in this area. And the reason why I have not grown is because I've stopped learning. I've stopped practicing. I've stopped putting time into this. I've stopped putting effort into this. And so I just have learned behavior that I've been falling back on time and time and time again. So Paul says that these things need to be teachable situations for us, teachable times in my life. How will I go through? When you're going through a situation, you have to ask yourself, how will I go through this differently than I went through last time? How will I go through this differently than I went through last time? How will I not end up in the same place of maybe talking to the same person, eating the same type of food, buying the same thing from this website, going on the same social media places, going to these same websites? How will I not end up like last time when I go through this? How can I look at this differently than what I am going in now? Last season, I sinned in different ways, right? I stopped being with God. I stopped praying. I let my anxiety take over. How can I do that differently. These are some ways that you can do that. You can look at your life when you are in a in a season of you have pulled back from God, recognize that. Self-awareness is so important for this, for us to be honest with ourselves and recognize what is happening in our own heart. This may look like this for me. Uh, I, I, I've gone through my week and I realized, man, I, I skipped several days of being with Jesus today. Why? We can map out, map out your responses to times that were really hard in your life. How did you react? How did you react when this time is hard now? How did you react to that time when something similar happened to the, in the past? Let's say something stressful at your work had you going crazy. You're, you're extra angry now. You're, you're, someone can set you off in a second. You don't want to be with the body. You don't want to be in service on Sunday. And so start mapping out those feelings. All right, this is what I'm feeling right now. When was the last time I felt like this? And you'll find similar patterns that go on. You'll see, wow, it seems like every time that there's a stressful situation in my job, I begin to act like X, Y, and Z. Well, God, I don't want to act like X, Y, and Z. I know you give me freedom. I know that through Christ, I am more than a conqueror. How can I walk through this pattern, this situation, through this circumstance in my life differently and not walk it through it discontently, which leads me to all the different areas and not to you. And how do I walk it out with contentment in you in every situation, in every circumstances? What you will do when you begin to map these things out is you will help you easily detect them the next time it comes about. Man, I'm feeling stressed again. What happened last time when I was stressed? Well, I did this, this, and this. How do I see that not happen again? Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to God and I'm going to bring others into the process. Accountability is such an important part of the Christian walk and how to grow and practice in something. To say things out loud to other people and, and walk with them and, and help them keep you accountable. And accountability, you know, people always get accountability wrong. Accountability is not somebody checking up on you. It's you telling somebody else about you, right? You have to be your own snitch. You have to be a rat in your own life. That's the only way 
Accountability is going to work. Accountability where it's another person's job to check up on you will never work. Accountability has to be on your own time and dime, as they say. And so bring it to other people. When I'm going through this, I rec- I've already recognized in the past, man, I have bad patterns and habits that I do. I walk away from Jesus and I walk to other things. I see that happening right now, again, in my life. So how can this be different? A non-teachable season will look like this or a situation. What have I done to survive before? I'm going to do it again. So you want to look at every situation and see it as a teachable thing in your life so that you can grow in your walk with God. You can grow in being in your Christ-likeness, in your faith and your work and all the things that God has called us to be. But you can go through a situation in a non-teachable way. And that is saying this, what have I done to survive before? I'm going to do it again. That most likely will be a subconscious thought unless you're honest with yourself. But we have to realize if you have been going through the same thing over and over and over again and your reaction is always the same, then you are subconsciously telling yourself that I'm not going to learn this time. I'm just going to do it the way I did it last time. I have my coping mechanisms. I have the ways that I have survived. I know how to get through this. Guess what? I'm going right back to that place. If your previous responses to things did not leave you more full of Jesus on the other end of your situation or your circumstance, then you must change it to a teachable season in your life so that you can bring it to God and say, God, I want to be able to go through this, whether abundance, whether need, whether deprivation, or whether a lot, I want to go through this. And at the other end of it, I want to come out more full of you. Because when I've come out on the other end and I haven't been more full, and look, we may go through a situation and that situation can last a week, right? It could be a a stressful time. My my accounting friends, whenever it's accounting season, right? When uh, April, whatever is it, April 15th, 16th, something like that, when all the taxes are due, right? It is like the worst week in the world. I feel bad for my accountant every time I call him that week because I know what he is going through. It could be one week of your life that something happens and it stresses you out, but it can take that one week, your decisions in that week could cost you six months to a year to five years of having to readjust and get back on course because of how you responded to your situation and how you responded in that circumstance. Because how you respond in that circumstance, you're gonna open up all these doors that you closed in the past. Yep, I need that one again. Yep, I need this again. Yep, I need this again. And guess what? When you open up that door, last time you opened it, it took you a year to close. This time when you opened it, maybe it's gonna take you a year. Maybe it's gonna take you two. Maybe it's gonna take six months or less. But guess what? You opened it. And when you went through that situation, it didn't leave you more full of Jesus. Instead, on the other side, it left you deprived and it left you longing for more and it left you in a situation that you had to take time to dig out of. And so you have to then say, if, if, if I responded this way and I, I remember what that looked like in my life, I remember how long it took me to get back to a good place in my life where I was able to close these doors again. Well, God, next time this happens, I don't want to respond the same way to this situation. Paul gives some examples. The situation, one that he gives is this idea of low versus high. He says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. This is not in um, an either or. 
Uh, some of us are, are prone to go to Jesus in high times, and some of us are prone to go to Jesus during low times. And whatever we are prone to, what we have to realize is that when the high time comes, uh, let's say I'm, I'm prone. Let's say I'm prone to go to Jesus when it's low. I'm, I'm having a hard time, and so and I go, Jesus, you're my only uh, sustaining force. I need your strength. I'm I'm weak right now. Please help me. Help me go through this time, right? But then when the high time comes. It's like, well, I only see Jesus as something I need when I'm low. I only see Jesus as someone who I need when, when things are bad. So when the high time comes, I'm good. I'm, I'm out of here. You have to understand, like, when you are brought low, do you go to Jesus? When you are abounding or when you are brought high, do you anchor yourself in Jesus? Right there, there's all these different scenarios in our life, and, and many of us are prone to either or, but Paul's saying in every situation, in every circumstance, no matter if you are feeling low, if you are feeling crummy today, if you are feeling just depressed, you are feeling sad, you are feeling stressed, you are feeling anxious, whatever situation that you are in right now, are you going to Jesus? But on the flip side of that, when you're high, when you're bounding, when things are good, when, it, when you don't have a care in the world, when it seems like all the stars are aligning for you and all the things are going right, have you anchored yourself in Jesus? Second situation Paul gives is abundance versus need. If you are good at praising God and giving only when you have abundance, in your bank account, only when you have abundance in your refrigerator, only when you have a lot, but not when you are in need, then there is learning to be done. If only when you are in need do you go to God and recognize that God is the master of your finances because you've realized that, man, I do not master my finances well, so I need God. I'm, I'm in need right now. God, you're the only one. Then there is work to be done. There is teachable moments that need to happen in your life. There are teachable moments that you need to understand that, God, I have been reacting to these situations wrongly. I have been reacting to life around me in a poor way, and it's leading me in every direction except to be content in you in all things. Except to say when I am in need that I trust in Jesus that when I have abundance, that I can still say that Jesus is all that I need. That no matter what I have in my account today or what is not there tomorrow, that in both situations that I can say, Jesus, you are all that I need. Whether I have a little today or I have a lot today, no matter what it is, Jesus, you are all I need. In any and every circumstance, Paul says, whatever situation, this leaves no doubt in our head that we must anchor Every little thing that we go through in life, in Jesus, and he will see us through it. See, in every circumstance, we have a, what we would call a just reason to not anchor it in Christ and be discontent. To do it without Jesus, we tell ourselves certain lies. When I'm in need, it may sound something like this. Well, Jesus doesn't care about me anymore. So forget him. 
I'm going to do what I need to do to get ahead. That's telling us a lie, that if you read Matthew 6, Jesus says something very opposite to that, that if he cares about the lilies of the field and the sparrow and how gloriously each are clothed, how much more will he care about his children? But we tell ourselves lies so that when that situation comes up again, we don't feel guilty about running away from God. We need to recognize the lies that the enemy will tell us, that we will tell ourselves so that we have an excuse in our own head to walk away from Jesus. When I'm hurt, it may sound like this. Well, I'm justified to be hateful or angry. So screw God and screw scripture. I I can do this. I know what needs to be done because I'm low right now and I don't deserve to be low. And so forget what scripture says, forget what God says. I'm justified in how I'm going to act and react. When I have plenty, it may sound like this. Well, I don't need to pray right now because I have everything I need. Everything's going good. Why do I need to spend time with Jesus? Why do I need to get in the word? Why do I need to pray? I have no requests. Everything is going well. Yeah, I went to church for a while, you know, while, you know, things were hard during that time, but now things are good. So I'm good. Everything's good. There's no need. I can decrease my time with Jesus because I see that what I wanted and needed worked already. And you know, when things get hard again, I'll have to increase my time with Jesus. We have these lies that we tell ourselves so that in every situation, whether low, high, abundance, or need, we can get out of going to Jesus. And what ultimately will happen over time is that in every circumstance, in every situation, we give ourselves a reason to be discontent, a reason to walk away from Christ, a reason to shut out God because, well, don't you know, this, this, and this has happened. When I am abounding, it's easy to say, well, I'm so busy. God understands. He's the one who gave me this blessing anyway. I'm I'm so busy because I'm doing the work of God or I'm I'm, I'm doing, I'm providing for my family or I'm I'm working these long hours. Well, I'm so busy. I, I just don't have time. God gets it. He understands I need all of these things and there's just no room for him right now. We tell ourselves these lies that our job or whatever our project is that we're working on is more important than our relationship with God because God gave it to us anyway. And so because of that, he understands when we're not with him. No. In all situations, in all circumstances, Paul's learned the secret to be content, whether he is brought low or is abounding, whether he is in need or has plenty, he understands in all those things the secret of contentness. What is the secret of contentness? That whatever comes your way, that you will still have joy, no matter if things are taken away and robbed from you, or all the kingdoms in the world are given to you, that you will be content, that you will have joy, that it doesn't matter what life hands you, 
that you will not despair, that you will not lose faith, that you will not walk away from Jesus, and that you will not give in to the reactions of this world. What is this secret that no matter what happens, that you are grounded on the solid rock of Jesus, that when the storms come, that when the rain comes, that you are not moved, that your house is built not on sand to crumble, but it is built on the solid rock of Jesus with him as the cornerstone. That secret, Paul says, is Jesus. In verse 13, he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He says, it doesn't matter what happens in your life. It doesn't matter what situation comes your way. It doesn't matter what circumstance you find yourself in. You can be content. You can get through it well. You can do it and not be moved because of Christ who strengthens you in all things. That when you wonder, man, how do you get through such a hard time? And keep your faith. When you wonder how is it that you have all the busyness of the world and don't lose your time to abide in Jesus. How is it that you can be brought so low and to such a despairing place but still have joy in Jesus like Paul has now where he is in prison, where he has been shunned, where people preach the gospel literally just to annoy him. How is it that he can be content in this place, that we can be content amid unrest, that we can be content amid COVID, that we can be content in a a place when the world seems like it is literally burning around us. How is it? He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I would venture to say that the number one reason why people struggle and walk away from their faith in Jesus is because they have not learned this principle that Paul has taught and that he is teaching here. See, here's the misinterpretation of this verse that has caused so many to look at this verse and to say the exact opposite of what it is talking about. The inter misinterpretation is this, that people use this verse to bless their proactive vision, their proactive plans, right? They, they, they use this verse to say, what I have for the future, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When Paul uses it to get through reactive situations where we use it for our future, whatever I want, whatever I need, whatever I have planned, well, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, brother. Don't you know that I'm going to be a millionaire? Don't you know that I'm going to get that house? Don't you know that I'm going to get that promotion? Why? Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, church come on, let me get an amen for that. I can do whatever I want and I'm going to tack on God with it. When Paul says, it's not about a future you, it's not about a future self, it's not about your desires and your will for what you want to happen, it's about your present and your past that no matter what is happening in you right now, no matter what circumstance, no matter what storm you may find yourself in right now, you can get through it through Christ who strengthens you. Everything that comes your way, Everything that may try to tear you down, everything that may try to distract you from Jesus has no power when compared to the name of Jesus because in him you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. 
We may be weak in our desires for lust of power, money, and fame. And so when we get those things, we may, our, our eyes may be diverted, but we can say to ourselves, no, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It doesn't matter what the paycheck somebody is going to offer me. If that distracts me from Jesus, I can say no to that through the strength of Christ. It doesn't matter what despair or depression or, or, or destruction is around me right now, how low I've been brought and how needy I am, how hungry I am. Why? because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He is my only sustenance. He is the only thing I need. So when I look around me at all the physical needs I have, I can say that one true shadow of a doubt that he is the only thing I need. And when I am tempted to despair against God and to throw hatred and anger his way, I can say, no, I can get through this in a good way, in a godly way, full of Jesus, full of his word, full of his presence. Why? Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That literally he is promising us that he will be with us in every situation and in every circumstance that wherever we are in life, no matter what has hit us, that we can be joyful and content in Jesus because in him we have everything we need. We have the good father who watches over us and who protects us. We have the provider who will look at us and say, he cares more about our situation than ours. So it may seem like I care more, but we don't know what God is doing, what he is working out right now, what he is purposing. And so I can say with confidence that I can walk through this knowing that he is caring for me, that he is protecting me, that he is my refuge, that he is my joy, that he is my strength. And that as I am feeling weak towards the temptation of turning my head away from him right now, I can rely on the strength of Jesus to keep me content and focused on my gaze in him. See, when you use the verse to bless your future instead of to strengthen your present, your goal is not Jesus. It's the plenty. It's the fame. It's the money. It's the abounding. And so what happens when you get those things, you no longer need Jesus. You no longer need him. And you won't go through that situation with his strength. Because as you've declared that verse, right, before every football game, I can't say how many times I've heard this verse and I just want to cry. This verse was not meant so that you can win this football game. This verse was meant so that we keep our eyes on Jesus throughout all circumstances in our life. This verse was not meant so that I can get that parking spot or that bigger house. Because why? Then that means that Jesus is only there, that his infinite strength and his infinite wisdom is only there so that I can satisfy my discontentness, so that I can satisfy my jealousy and my covenantness, so I can satisfy my sinful desires. And that is not why Jesus strengthens his body and his church. It's so that we can go through suffering. It's so that we can be an abounding church that no matter what happens, happens that we can say, Jesus, you strengthened me and you alone and nothing else. And so I will not use that, that verse. I will not use Jesus's strength to bless the things that I want so that when I get them, I have no more need of him, but I will use it to walk me through the situation that I'm going through 
to teach me how to look and gaze upon the beauty of God and be content where I am no matter what rages around me, no matter what tempts my eyes and my flesh to walk away from him. Sometimes we've asked God, why aren't you answering our prayers for more? Because if he does, you'll stop praying. He was only the means to an end. He was not the end purpose of all that you want. The very things that you desire are the things that are keeping you from being content in Jesus today. Remember this, how Paul says this. Instead of, I want to make something happen, so let me quote this verse. It's something has happened to me, so let me quote this verse. When people praise me, I need Jesus to humble my heart so that I don't look to my own righteousness for a foundation. When people despair of me, I need Jesus so that I don't look at my own self and not see the creation that God has created in his image. When I am in need, before I need anything else, I need Jesus because he is the one who loves and sustains. When I am abounding, I need Jesus because the things around me do not give me eternal life and satisfy the longing that my soul has that they promise to do but fail to do time and time again. Church, don't get upset and say about our past, man, I, I haven't been allowing the strength of God. One thing that any good teacher will tell you is that if you begin right now to learn, to ask the good questions, that is what, that to, to understand, that is what is wanted. Right before the semester ends, before our life ends, what God is calling you to right now is to be teachable before him. To be able to say, God, in this situation, I have reacted poorly before. All right, when I got my job last time, I celebrated, I got drunk, I got wasted with friends, and I was not a good witness instead of being like the one leper who was healed out of the 10 and went back and thanked Jesus. I want to be like that one. Teach me, God, how to abound. Lord, last time something horrible happened in my life, what I, I turned my back from you in, in hatred and in anger and I ran away from you and I ran to the things of the world. Lord, teach me how not to do that again. God is calling us now to learn as Paul has learned the secret of contentness in him to abound in every situation, to have Jesus as your strength. This is not a call to despair about our past. This is a call to say, God, help us learn so that we don't fall into same traps that we fell into before. Now remember that in every situation, the enemy has a trap for you, whether it's good, bad, need, high, whatever it is. And also in every situation, God has a route of joy and contentedness for you that you can learn while you abide in him. 
Pray with me. Father, teach us. Teach us the secret as Paul learned. The secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Teach us how the secret has been revealed to us in Jesus. That you are the only one that we need in all things, in all situations, at all times, at all places. God, as long as we have you, we are good. Father, teach us in every situation to be content, to be joyful. No matter what it looks like around us, no matter what we do not have or what we do have, that we will learn how to be brought high and how to be brought low and in all things to have joy in you. In Jesus' name we pray. As we worship, Joseph will put in a response device. If you want prayer this week, one of our leaders will follow up and pray with you. But I'm just going to encourage you at this time while we worship to examine your heart, examine your life, and, and ask God, God, teach me what you taught Paul, the secret to face every single situation. Amen.